Gaming and BS episode 132, Clerks. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. For those of you who have been here before, glad to have you here again. Announcements. Um, is that GaryCon is this week. This thing will drop on, what, the 21st of March. So that means, Sean, I'm going to be heading down to GaryCon on Wednesday evening. Are you going to bail Wednesday or come down Thursday morning? Thursday Montag. Got it. Cool. I'm hooking up with uh, Corey and Dave Wynn. I'm trying to figure out where they're going to be Wednesday. Uh, I think they might be doing, um, I think the Dead Game Society. I think Chad and some of the guys from there have a little mixer going on Wednesday evening as well. So I might have to swing into that soiree and uh, give those boys what for if necessary. So anyway. I think the winds well, usually go to Frank's house. Frank I, think they, I think they do. Or his party, anyway. Frank actually lives up uh, closer to Wausau area. But uh, anyhow, yeah, I'm going to see what's, <clears throat> see what's happening Wednesday. And I know Hobbs will be up there. Jason Hobbs. Hobbs has already uh, reached out, and we're going to try to connect, maybe do some gaming Wednesday. If not, eh, we got the weekend to do something. So I'm really looking forward to this, man. I, I know you are, too. So should be a damn good time. I uh, have an announcement. What is it? I'm going to be on Hobbs and Friends of the OSR. What? I told Hobbs, I'm like, look, buddy, you better get me on that podcast before you get Brett on there. That's all I'm saying. Well, you, you beat me because I was going <laughs> to I was going to ask him. I was going to ask him a Gary Con and you beat me. Yes. Son of a bitch. All right. Well, that's fine. 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 I heard it's the best one yet. I don't know. It probably is. I mean, you're not going to rack up like uh, Dead Game Society Amber episode numbers, but you guys will do okay, I think. Well, that's true. That's fair. <laughs> and I can only, and that's only because I had Phil on there to help from uh, Mr. Director Mark to help back me up. So anyway, yeah, that Vecchio cool. man, he he pulls him in. He does. He's got those dulcet tones. It just makes. Oh, he's got. He's all over the place, man. He's he's on the he's in the gnome stew. He's in the misdirected Mark. He's in the. The Panda Talking Games. He's in the Encoded Designs. He's in the Odyssey Publishing stuff. Yeah, well, and if and uh, he and uh, Eloy Lasanta for uh, he does a he does work with Eloy too for Third Eye Games. So yeah, the guy gets around him and that Sneezak man. They're uh, they're uh, they're forced to be reckoned with, as they say. Man, all right. Anything else? I hope Phil's at GaryCon. <laughs> that would be cool. I don't think I don't think they are. I was giving them both. Crap, uh, trying to see if I could get him to, to show up at Gary Con, but I don't think they're going to be there this year. Well, I think Phil has a conflict with Gamehole Con, but he's, I thought he said that Gary Con is not out of reach completely. Yes, he said that it's not out of reach. I don't think this year will happen, though. Oh, speaking of Gamehole Con, I believe I was able to tempt the Sneezak. I told Chris he's got a place to crash in my hotel if he can make it, and uh, Sean Merwin's coming again this year. So I think we'll have a little misdirected Mark action, too, so that'll be cool. Which also reminds me, when you uh, when you and I talk at GaryCon with Hobbs, we need to talk about some podcaster stuff at uh, for Gamehole. I'll leave it at that. A little something, something Alex told me about. The suspense so. is killing me. I know. Well, let's random encounter this sucker up, man, before we get too, too more vaguey. God, button. Work button. Random encounter. You know the drill. You want to start, Brett? 
Oh, you could do that. Matt Bonhoff comments on voices. <clears throat> I'm surprised you didn't talk about gender at all in your voice episode. Granted, I think a lot of the discussion would be about the same as regional accents, the possibility of insulting someone, etc. But I expected at least a mention. You know, Matt, that's a damn good point. Um, that was one of the things when we got done to- done with it. I think Sean and I both, after the fact, said, oh, we didn't do like gender voices or anything like that. Damn it. So <laughs> I think I think it might be worth talking about. There is um, – I have a harder time with um, – I don't have like a immensely deep voice, but my, my voice is – it it sounds very silly if I try a falsetto female voice, and also sounds overly cliche and obnoxious. Well, hey, Brett, hey, let us, you know. hey, let us be the judge. No, go, go no, ahead, no, Brett. No, no, hey, we got no, you on the mic, no, man. No, what what do you good. say? We're good. We're good. We're good. Now, Sean, on the other hand, he does an amazing Marilyn Monroe. I actually am more like Jessica Rabbit. Oh, a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I don't recall the actress that voiced her, but um, I'm afraid to do a female voice. That, I think I think I would seduce some of the folks that listen to us. Well, that's how you got me on the show. I'll just say that right now. Whoa, um, hey! <laughs> but honestly, though, I think um, just to touch on this for a bit, when I have because I I have a hard time pitching my voice in a way that oh, ooh, there it is, there it is. <laughs> God, Gus, you're slow. Jesus, man, he was sleeping back there, very asleep. <laughs> he must be doing shots with uh, Wayne the Ewok. Anyhow, so <clears throat> when I, I do female voices, what I tend to do is uh, change my body language more. If um, the individual, regardless of male or female, if they're being haughty or if they're being nervous, pensive, aggressive, whatever, is I, I focus more on body language and like where I'm looking and so on. And then I'll say in a in a X, Y, or Z type of voice, you know, very. If the woman I decide is a high-pitched, squeaky voice, if I can't do... I can do an old crone. Hey, there now! I mean, that could be a man or a woman, just an old, cranky voice. Um, but otherwise, it, I'll try to say something like, you know, she seems in, in a very, you know, concerned tone. Or I, I try to describe the tone versus trying to do the tone because I have a really hard time pulling off any sort of uh, woman's voice um, without it sounding incredibly cartoony or... Uh, insulty. <laughs> I think it's it's almost it's it's a cliche of itself. Damn, it's that bad. So, I tend to use more body language and um, descriptors to go along with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes total so, makes total sense. What do you do when you have to do a female's voice in a game? Oh, I get all I get all soft, soft and sweet. Maybe it depends on what the female uh, NPC or player character I'm portraying. You know, not every not every woman or female is all uh, have to be sultry and oh, absolutely s- seductive. So I could be. That's why I'm like it's it's the cliche thing, right? Is you, you got to be careful that you don't fall into all women try to sound like this. No, don't don't cliche that. You know, they can have the same approaches and anything that uh, that any man or any other person could have. Yeah, I'm kind of partial to Mae West if we go go back to the classics. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Come up and see me, big boy. So ah, come there you are. See me big time. But I do think, though, uh, seriousness in, I uh, should say, all kidding aside and trying to be serious for a second, that, again, the main piece is that if you're going to portray someone from a different gender, don't over-stereotype. Uh, similar to, like, if all the quote unquote idiots in your game all have an accent that sound like they're from a certain part of the country that can be 
rather trite and overdone and overused, blah, blah, blah. Don't, uh, don't cheapen yourself like that. And again, uh, there's no reason that any woman in the group um, or NPC that you're talking to can't be just as um, aggressive, demanding, um, demure, worried, pensive, crying, whatever it happens to be. All those things go either um, go with any gender, any orientation you want. It's just a way that you're dealing with <clears throat> whatever emotion it is the character has at the time. So, um, as I said, since I can't pitch my voice in a certain way to try to sound feminine, I at least what I think is more feminine. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even gonna do that because it's just a damn stupid of me to try. I use qualifiers like she sounds like this. You know, hey, it sounds like that. Um, the woman from uh, this movie, you know, that that actress? Yeah, it sounds just like her her voice. Oh, okay, click, click, click. Then people hear it, um, and that, that helps too. So anyway, a little bit there, Matt. I hope that helped a little bit, Matt, if that makes some sense. If you've got – Matt, if you or any other listeners out there have other ways to – ideas or thoughts around how to, how to uh, make that even better than our slipshod quick little uh, attack there, let us know. I think uh, we'll be happy to take any other advice you have. Sean, your turn. Edwin emails us, howdy BS. I've written a few times about various topics, gradually streamlining a framework for looking at when, why, how to add various things to an adventure. The last one looks something like this. Why is weather showing up? To reset the emotional tone. To modify the difficulty of some specific obstacle. To generally change the power level of the PCs. To demonstrate the mood of the world as a story hook. Today, partially based on something one of you said, I was taking a return trip to the 5e DMG. This is what I found, excerpted from the appropriately named Random Encounters section, page 85. Random Encounters. Well-designed Random Encounters can serve a variety of useful purposes. Creative urgency. Adventures don't tend to dwaddle, dawdle if the threat of random encounters is hanging over their heads. Wanting to, wanting to avoid wandering monsters creates a strong incentive to look for a safe place to rest. Rolling dice beyond the DM screen can often accomplish this even without an actual encounter. Uh, I think, yeah. Establish atmosphere. The appearance of thematically linked creatures as random encounters helps to create a consistent tone an atmosphere for an adventure. For example, an encounter table filled with bats, wraiths, giant spiders, and zombies creates a sense of horror and tells the adventurers to prepare for battle with even more powerful creatures of the night. Uh, drain character resources is another one. Random encounters can drain the party's hit points and spell slots, leaving the adventurers feeling underpowered and vulnerable. Provide assistance. Some random encounters can benefit the characters instead of hindering or harming them. Add interest. Random encounters can reveal details about your world. And then last one, reinforce campaign themes. Random encounters can remind the players of the major themes of the campaign. Uh, for example, if your campaign features an ongoing war between two nations, you might design random encounter tables to reinforce the ever-present nature of the conflict. There's some more details, but you guys can look it up in the DMG 5E from Wizards of the Coast. That's good stuff. I think the there's a piece when we've talked about this before. This is what Edwin kind of calls out here is one. <clears throat> what we're trying to do is make a 
an imaginary world that we can all play pretend in as grownups or as young people or older people, whatever, and uh, want to be as real as we possibly can get it, right? Um, want to have a certain feeling like the place is alive and things are connected. Um, we've talked about random encounters before. Sometimes even the an, an atmosphere established of sometimes random is actually truly random, and it's a weird thing that you've encountered that may have nothing to do with the story. Um, it's just, it's just a thing, but, you know, having themed encounters or having encounters that help to underscore, uh, and emphasize different components of the world and the storyline that everyone's involved in is, is really cool. And it's just one more way to help make that stuff even more alive. So I like those ideas. That's pretty cool. Yes, very well. All right. Crim fan wrote in and I try voice shifting to the extent of my abilities, as DM, I did a pretty good uh, Halister and managed gnomes fairly well, too. Some others, not so much. If I can't do it, I'll just skip the accent, though I do try to change the way I talk. It's much easier to do as a player. One of the guys that play with manages to change his speech patterns for his half-orc barbarian really well, and my next character will be a halfling explorer modeled on Jacques Cousteau. Uh, so I'll have to refresh my French vocabulary. <laughs> One way to make things fun is to mess with player expectations. For example, dwarves seem to be Scottish these days, uh, probably due to WoW. I had a dwarven NPC recently who was a rogue who definitely didn't have a gruff pseudo-Scottish accent at all. He was a smooth talker. If I, I thought I could manage it, I would have done a kind of Middle Eastern accent. Well, cool. I think playing against type like that, you know, which is goofy that dwarves now have a type when it comes to voices. We talked about this a bit in the show as well when we did talk voices, and that that's a neat thing to do, I think, <clears throat> playing against that component and um, the other piece, as he says, you know, if he can't, if I can't do it, says Crimfan, I'll just skip the accent, though I do try to change the way I talk. You don't have to use the voices. You know, sometimes you're feeling it. Sometimes you're like, you know what? Tonight, um, I as Game Master, um, I'm not going to do voices for all the orcs. I'm not doing voices for every, you know, bar patron that they run into or every town guard they, they meet. It's just not feeling it. Not going to happen. Or, you know, I wanted to have them sound a certain way. I can't muster up a way to make that work. It's totally fine to walk away from it. You don't have to do all the voices in order to be a good game master or, or to have a good game experience. Changing the way you talk is, I think, an easier way to uh, do some of those things, especially if you're not good at accents. You know, it's it's just another, it's a simple way to do it. As we talk, you know, changing body language, speech patterns, and so forth, I find is a lot easier than accents. So that's good stuff. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for writing in. We appreciate it. Uh, let's get into the main topic. Let's dive in. All right, the player series continues. Yeah, so I want to do a little preamble here up front. And one of the things that um, one of our listeners gave us, and it was really good feedback, was like, hey, guys, um, you can probably assume a lot of your listeners know what the hell a fighter is. You don't have to go exhaustively explaining what a fighter is. Sean and I noodle on that for a while, and it is a good it's a good reminder that yes, a lot of the men and women that do listen to us know what the hell we're talking about, at least at some level. The other component though that we don't want to lose is one, to steal a page from, you know, Phil and Chris and Bob over at Misdirected. We want to have some kind of a definition to work against. <clears throat> and two, sometimes one of the things that was kind of a uh, genesis for this where Sean was like, you know what? It would be nice as when that new player comes up to me and says, hey, I'd like to play a paladin. Um, I don't know how to do that. Is there a way to do it? If they could say, well, go to a Gaming BS episode 
X, and uh, they did a bit on Paladins playing them. Maybe you could pick up some ideas from there. So that's also part of what we were hoping that we could uh, add some value in that space within the hobby. Did I cover that, Sean? We're good there? Brett, you took the words literally right out of my mouth. Like I had like alphabet soup stuck in my mouth, and you just pulled them out in words. Well, I do what I can. <laughs> Summed it up just just perfect, just fine, just great. Well, thank you, sir. I had to, I had to talk to executives today and uh, take very complicated technical things and turn them into something. Something they would understand. So this was easy <laughs> compared to that. This is this. I, le- I know I'm talking to smart people now. I can use words that everyone will understand. So this oh, is oh, nice. hey, oh, executives not smart. Hey, oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> At least not the ones I was listening to or had to talk to. Gamers though, gamers are smart people. Anyhow, so we want to talk about clerics, man. So Sean, what the hell is a cleric? A cleric. A clerk. He sits at the uh, office and uh, types up documents. Nice. This is why no one listens to us. Um. <laughs> this is why nobody <laughs> listens to us. God, these freaking guys. Um, cleric. Yeah. Holy man. Holy woman. Holy person. It's all about the, uh, the religion. Faith-based class. So one of the other pieces that everybody, you know, you... People say cleric or healer, oftentimes you'll hear synonymous, like, oh, we need a healer. Somebody give me a healer. And uh, that's when the guy or gal who's sick to death of playing clerics, and he raises his hand and goes, I'll play a druid. Oh, that's not a real healer, you know? So, boo! Where is it? Boo! Boo! So your traditional fantasy cleric, um, i.e. go back to your AD&D, D&D, and so on, they follow a god and um, of some pantheon within your world, and they're going to follow that god's dogma and try to make things happen, do whatever is within that space, and also provide medical assistance for the poor adventurers who get their asses handed to them by those kobolds and goblins and dragons, because we're using dragons more, we've learned that, um, that that are going to be whomping the crap out of the party, right? You need to have somebody to do that. Now, Brett. Yes, you mentioned like following a deity or a god. Now there is some, I think there's even little uh, tidbits that talk about following a belief and not necessarily a deity. Yes, I mean even if I mean just to step away from that for a second, even if you take your your cleric into a more modern or sci-fi, a medic like uh, a corpsman from the you know. Um, your Marine Corps or your medics from the army and so forth. <clears throat> These men and women are, you know, trained fighters, yet they're really good at keeping people alive, patching them up and so forth. So I have to, I have to correct you, Brett. I'm sorry. I just sorry, have... go, no, go for it. So, I'm using the wrong language. So, aren't I? I'm totally so, using the wrong cause language. Cause there's a Marine that's listening to this and they're just going to jump out of their, their shit. And, yeah. and same with the Navy. So yeah, I'm the... Gonna get, I do not want a Navy. I do not want a Marine and a Navy guy. Don't want that. I don't want my ass beat. So a guys. medic for the Marine Corps is typically a Navy corpsman. Navy corpsman, thank you. That's right. So the Marines typically don't have their own medic. The Navy, the Navy medic gets dispatched to the Marines. There you go. Thank yeah, you. There you go. I just want to, you know, those guys. I mean, they, that's some serious stuff you're knocking on there. No, I no. These are the men and women that keep them alive. They they know that stuff better than I do. Yeah. Um. So anyway, to go back to Sean's other point though, is that some systems, depending where they're at, and I know even. And some variations of D&D, either in splat books and so on, 
sometimes it can be, and druids will often do this, where you're not necessarily worshiping a god or goddess of a thing, but you're following a belief system. Um, like, hey, lawful good behaves in a certain way. I worship lawful, essentially I worship quote unquote lawful good, like all the deities of the lawful good pantheon or, or, you know, or whatever that, that type of thing you can go forward with. Is that what you're thinking about, Sean? No, I was thinking more of like a, maybe a philosophy, um, uh, not, not a multi-pantheon. What is that? Or is that a polypantheon? Anyway, polypantheonic. Uh, we just made that up. That's probably not even a thing, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, it could be the way of the flower, whatever that is. Right. So there's, mm, okay. Right. Maybe you're a follower of the, I don't know, Tao, maybe that's maybe. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you take, okay, I get what you're saying. So the, the short, the short version though, is that your fancy cleric, um, basically has a system of belief at the core of it is either a person that they're trying to emulate a deity whose will they may follow or is exempl- or exemplar of that system of beliefs or a path that that's what they're trying to do. Yes. So <clears throat> Sean, um, have you done when, when you play, do, 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 do you find, uh, in the groups, they either when you're a player or a game master, either, either shoe there, do players tend to want to be a medic, like having medical skills in a more modern or sci-fi game, and that, but they hate clerics and fantasy? Have you, ever, have you ever encountered that? I don't know if I've actually... I don't know if the contrast has been that black and white. I don't know if I've sat down and said, oh, you want to play a medic, but in our D&D games, you never want to play the cleric. So I, I, I can't say for sure that that has occurred. I know there's people that are... They call the cleric the, uh, you know, the heel bitch or whatever. But I don't. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, I've heard the walking. <laughs> I call. I called the. I called the cleric one time a walking first aid kit when I was in high school, and uh, that cleric refused to heal me for like two sessions after that. That was that was not fun. Yeah. So there is. So we're going to talk about why you want to do this, but I'll tell you right now, one of the things that's interesting is the cleric tends to be this dump class. We talk about dump stats, like, hey, it's all that shit and charisma. Who fucking cares about that? But for some reason, there is a special breed of gamer who doesn't mind playing clerics. My son, AJ, will play a dwarven cleric in preference to any other class or a race combo. He loves dwarven clerics. That's his thing. <clears throat> I think it's because he got convinced to play the cleric by his older brother, my oldest son, Connor. And uh, he found out how incredibly cool it was to be this essential thing that went around and made sure everybody was alive. He liked being very useful. So that was, AJ thinks that's awesome. But there is a lot of, um, all all you get to do is be a healer. Oh, all you have to do is run around and do this, do that. Um, and I think a lot of that stigma comes from the olden days of AD&D and your basic D&D where clerics couldn't, you had limited spells, limited access to spells like so if you had five spell slots um you went uh various different levels you could say well i'll take you know cure light wounds twice um and then detect poison and you're adventuring along and you're going crazy and you cast your cure light wounds twice you're like oh guys guys i'm out of i'm out of healing spells we might want to we're getting kind of getting our asses handed to us by these uh bugbears here we might need to camp for the night because they need to regain someone goes don't you have more spells and she says, Sean, and Brett goes, yeah, but I, you know, I've, I, I use the other one for something else. And Sean says, what is that? And Brett says, well, it was detect poison. 
And Sean and the rest of the party go, what the fuck did you memorize? Detect poison from a bugbear lair. What's wrong with you? Why do you have detect poison? And uh, the cleric used to get his ass handed to him. <laughs> Verbally by the rest of the party, at least I have seen, because he didn't bother to stock up on enough healing spells. Do you ever? Did you ever encounter that, Sean? I know other people have. I'm just wondering if you ever. ever oh, seen yeah, it. that was pretty, pretty typical. Because you're right. I think in the the olden days, I think that was part of the deal. If you were a cleric, that I mean, that was its main role. I think since then, it's come a long ways. As a matter of fact, I I think some people argue that the cleric in Five E is probably the best class you can play as it relates to its versatility for bonking people and being able to heal and cast spells. Absolutely. Your old school clerics had, um, and some of the OSR games still adhere to this, right? They're no edged weapons. Everything's blunt weapons. Um, you couldn't use arrows. You had to use slings. Uh, or some clerics didn't even get to use slings. You can only use blunt, you know, handheld weapons. <clears throat> so between some of those limitations, they were kind of seen as a, a neutered fighter and a neutered mage because they didn't have this cool uh, ability to cast useful spells as well because they had to, quote, unquote, waste all their slots. Do you know the what? Cleric, Do you the know cleric what? has always had kick-ass buff spells. They've always had some really good detection stuff, stuff that could help you or improve you. But until 3.0, 3.5, Pathfinder, and then 4 and 5e, you just you weren't able to really use it. Sorry, Sean, I stepped in there. But they uh, do you know why that the philosophy was that they could only use blunt weapons? Why is that, Sean? I used to know. And, um... My understanding, or my, my, my guess, I don't know how I came across this, whether it's true or not, has to do with um, the – the the piercing weapon is is kind of more violent or it draws blood where if you're bonking people over the head with a mace there's something not uh i don't know if it's murderous is the word i'm looking for does that make any sense it's not as violent something along those lines because like hitting, hey if, if i hitting if, a goblin in the head with a mace that has a tip speed of approximately 115 miles an hour is not going to cause him to bleed apparently that's pretty cool well right it's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like i'm going to take brett and i'm going to punch him to death or i could stab him yes one seems to have more murderous intent where the other doesn't seem quite as viscerally violent right and i think that and i don't know if that's in first edition ad and d or if i read it somewhere it's, it's something to do with that and well the other thing to remember is back in the day and we've talked about um game balance and other things but that was a the the way the game balance is obtained in multiple systems sometimes a cleric has these types of limitations and i know some gamer friends of mine got like really bent out of shape when clerics should start using edge weapons because they worship the god that let them use edge weapons and so on. And that kind of cheesed some folks off that I knew who were old schoolers because, oh, that's unbalanced, that's unbalanced. Because they had a different view of what made the game, what balanced the cleric out versus, you know, they felt that there was not enough negatives then, right? Other classes had positives and negatives, and they felt that that was a little un, <coughs> excuse me, un, unwieldy or unbalancing. I think you're right, though, that my friends like Zave. Um, Zave loves playing clerics, and we have joked that if you wanted to make a D and D party that would be nigh unstoppable, would be get a group of like five clerics of the same god, and just <laughs> and uh, or gods that were reasonably got along reasonably well, it would be really really hard to stop you <laughs> from a game master perspective. 
shit ton of armor, uh, great armor, a lot of hit points, buff spells like crazy, healing capabilities. That that would be that would be just a tank. Just this little squadron of armored tanks would be tough as hell to destroy. Yeah, good fun, man. I think so. But anyway, so their clerics, for whatever reason, have gotten a bad rap, and I think a lot of it, again from the historical perspective, and also because they are often seen as like the walking band aid. It's a joke within the gaming hobby, right? Oh yeah, you're a cleric. Yeah, go over and heal all these fuckwits who keep getting healed, killed. But on the cool part, though, is if you look at a cleric, um, traditionally speaking, even your modern medic, right? An army medic, uh, navy corpsman, whatever they they go through basic. You know, they go through basic training. They're strong. They're quick. They know how to use a gun. You go, um, you know, they go through basic, your basic infantry stuff. You look at, um, <clears throat> you go back towards um, uh, the, the D&D end of things, your, your fantasy. They've got spells. Oh, yeah, and they also have, they can wear pretty much any armor out there, use shields. They're, they're pretty good in a fight. They've got a decent armor class because of all that stuff. Um, and when they hit you, they do a shit ton of damage. They may not want the crap out of you quite like the fighter, but it's a pretty good second. You put that cleric in the second rank or up front when necessary or guarding the mage or whatever, that's a, that's a tough SOB to have to beat through. Oh, then plus, when that undead comes up and uh, starts draining, draining life or levels <laughs> as it used to and still does in some OSR games, off your fighter, you can turn that thing. The cleric is the only person, depending on... Some systems don't have it don't have it innate, um, I know Lamentations of a Flame Princess turning undead is a spell for clerics, but most often in your fantasy game, your cleric has an innate spell, uh, excuse me, undead turning ability, which is huge, um, especially, again, when you start losing stat bonuses, right? You've got that wraith or specter that drains your strength, and you're like, oh my god, where's the cleric? Where's the cleric? Get him up here. Get her up here. Help out. Yeah, what's that turning stuff about? I think it's pretty cool. Well, some people, you know, new to the game, don't, they don't know what turning undead is. Fair enough. So turning undead is the cleric using uh, his or her uh, god-gifted ability uh, to basically, through force of their deity's power through them, channeling it through them, and their holy symbol as a foci, they're able to say, uh, you know, you undead, go away. You can make undead run away. You can destroy them flat out. You can... Um, so there's, you can destroy them, you can turn them. Some, depending on certain clerics, you can command them in various different ways. You can basically take them over and make them do chores or fight people for you. So there's all sorts of cool stuff you can do there. But again, it, it's a way to mass effect a whole pack of skeletons or a whole group of zombies or a pack of ghouls or ghasts or whatever the problem is. You've got an ability to maybe handle a huge chunk of it all at once by making them just flat run away from you. Or if you're high enough level, you can just destroy them. But you gotta have faith, Frankie. You gotta have faith. So the one of the downsides, right? So you've got spells, you kick ass at fights and all that stuff. One of the downsides I see to the cleric <clears throat> and isn't so much the moral, moral, ethical, or alignment impact. Oh, well, you worship this god, um, or you have to have this uh, moral standing, or you need to be of this alignment, is the fact that it just gets missed. So many times you'll have that cleric. It's much like the paladin. We could talk paladins another day, of course, but it, it's it's a really important component. The way that cleric is built, even your modern um, doctors and medics and so forth. There's a Hippocratic oath. There's a thing you're supposed to do, and you, they take it very seriously. The good ones take it very seriously. And if you're a cleric in a fantasy game, 
you're a representative of your God or system of belief out there to impress the world that this is a good thing to do. So many times it, um, the, the moral ethical alignment impact that you should be dealing with doesn't always is conveniently forgotten by game master and or player. Uh, more often I find by the player. So I think to be a good player of a cleric, you need to grab on to that quote unquote weakness of that, that box that you live in, that moral, ethical, and alignment box that your character is signed up for, and stay in that box. It provides some really kick-ass role-playing opportunities, I think. What do you think, Sean? As far as staying in the box? Yeah, I mean, just from that perspective, right? If you're not supposed to, you know, if your character doesn't believe in, you know, wholesale slaughter and murder, you should probably not allow them to just butcher all the bandit women and children. You know, that's probably not a good idea. Uh, right, but how do you handle it as a game master? You handle it in-game, I would think. Yes. So how, well, would, you, how would you handle it in-game? Well, as a, play, well, we're talking as a player. From a player, from a player oh. perspective here, you know, the, well, player, the player needs to stand. The player who's got that cleric needs to stand and say, look, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry I can't allow this. We need to talk about this. No, 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 no. That's wrong. That's not the right thing to do. Yeah, I think they have to have a, a moral compass, but it depends on where that's pointing. So they could, the thing is, is that's a role-playing uh, opportunity where they could say, hey, I don't believe in violence. So, hey, Fightor, you, you, you know, let's negotiate everything, right? Everything's diplomacy. Let's do that, okay? All right, everybody on the same page? And then when it doesn't happen... You know what happens, or or maybe they they think that way and they preach that way, but they're the first one to go and bonk somebody in the head. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Is that I at least my memory used to be Dave, my buddy Dave is a really good uh, gamer, especially when it comes to clerics because he likes them. And if his cleric has a belief, like, look, you know, I follow this god or goddess, and she preaches that, you know, goblins and goblinoids are evil incarnate they are the spawn of you know some horrible god melkor and we're supposed to destroy them no mercy should be shown to these you know sons and daughters of perdition okay got it um and then when someone else goes well you know maybe we shouldn't kill all the goblins you know we should question one of them they'll be like i'm sorry that's not happening you know what is what is better which is fine and i get it and i agree with you brett but what you do as a game master is you bring a cleric of the same religion who's who's contradicts that <laughs> say hey brother brett uh you know i think it's it's left up to interpretation and of course these are evil creatures and while you may not find it in your heart to to rid the, the land of this evil you know just be contradictory no i get it i like that well, tell you what, let's do, let's, Sean, I wrote down some things about like role-playing clerics. So <clears throat> part of it is that even if you're, um, e even a modern setting, you're the member of an order, a church, you've got a God, even a modern or sci-fi, you, um, you have a job to do, right? It's your job is to make sure that everyone on, in my travel games, they've liked playing the medic. So he was the medic, he was the doctor. One of his jobs is to make sure everybody's healthy. And he makes sure that that's a thing that he, you know, heaves to and make sure that 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 happens so i think the other component of this too while we're talking about orders and belief systems and so forth is that it essentially what it comes down to is make it a point to do things for 
your belief structure. Donations are one of the more common ones. Like, hey, I'm in town. I've got a pocket full of gold. Hey, there's a church to Meriden. There's a temple to Obadhai. I should probably go and, you know, give something to Zeus because, well, I do worship Zeus, and it's been a while since I've seen an actual temple to Zeus. So I'm going to go and uh, help them out. Oh, they don't need any gold. What they need is for someone to, you know, bless the holy water and tend the gardens. Great. I'll do that for a, a weekend while the rest of you are doing something at the inn or whatever. Yeah. From a role-playing opportunity, make it a point to look for those opportunities and then grab onto them and make them happen. Brad, they do that in the first edition game, man. You got to donate 10% of your earnings to the church. Yes. Isn't it 10%? Is it 10%? Well, I I think paladins are supposed to at least. I can't remember what clerics are supposed to. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure clerics got to forfeit the the gold. Well, even if it's not mechanically there, I think from just talking role-playing perspective, I think it's, it's a really good thing to do. Because it just it helps enforce the fact that this is the thing that you believe in, and as such, I'm going to support this in its organized fashion in this town or whatever. Make sense? It does. The other, <clears throat> excuse me, the other piece I'll jump down one a couple here on you, Sean. But when you're doing this stuff as a player, this is like the epitome of source the table for the for your god, because. Unless the game master and you have a fully fleshed out, this is how every you know, church service for um, this deity of your uh, <clears throat> that you've been following for the last you know twenty years of your life, whatever, how it all functions. There's no reason that you can't say, you know what, I'm going to show up to the church and see if they need the uh, the holy uh, the holy gardens tended. Oh, I didn't know the Church of Zeus had gardens. Yes, yes, they all have gardens. Didn't you know that? You know, you have that opportunity to flesh out the church structure. You know, I'm going to look for the high priest. And also, I also do want to see the prefect. You do realize that the prefect and the priest are different. Yes, yes, I know you've told me that before. Just pulling those, you can make that stuff up on the spot, or you can have a structure and slowly but surely, you know, if you've written it down in your spare time, if you've got plenty of spare time. But it's that opportunity for you every time that you're engaging in what your church or belief system does for you to add more color and, uh, as the game master said, what are you guys doing while you're in town? And he's he or she is sourcing the table, looking for cool shit that you'll be doing. You can bring up something that says, well, you know, we're in town. So the first thing, you know, according to my belief system, I have to find the nearest water, uh, common water source and bless it for the good of the town. That's just, that's what we do. Why? Well, I'm church of Poseidon. That's just a thing we do. Oh, okay. Neat. Um, that it, it's a small thing that you do. And then when you go into town and the next town, and you forget to do it, the dude who's six next to you is a fighter's going, Sean, aren't you supposed to be blessing the water? Ah, crap, says Sean. Yep, I'll get over and bless the water. You know, it, it adds color and everything else to the world, which I think is cool. Sean, <laughs> with me? Yeah, man, color of the world. <laughs> so the one, I did, the one you brought up, which I really like, is questioning the God and the faith, right? That, that hard choices option as a player. Hey, there's always temptation. Yes, there's always temptation. Always temptation. <laughs> Not always easy decisions being a person of the cloth. Absolutely. And as a GM, it is your given right to make them face difficult decisions. So, the other thing that I have... See, this happens quite often. So we've talked about, you know, a little bit about clerics and gods before. We talked about deities uh, a few episodes back. 
is that if you are going to smack the cleric down or the paladin, especially the cleric in this case, we're talking clerics, um, you haven't done the right thing. <clears throat> you didn't kill those goblins. You let the fighter and the monk talk you out of killing them, which is what you should be doing per our doctrine. Um, you're in trouble. You know, in a DCC uh, perspective, you're at disfavor with the god. You're you're you know you're, you're lacking something here. It's a problem. Um, those negative components make for a really good story. Your character's like, look, I have to, I have to do something to get back on the the right side of my god, or our faith structure, or you know, the Holy Father at this particular church is looking askance at me because I haven't been able to tithe. And the reason I haven't been able to tithe is because we needed the money to complete the quest, which is, albeit a holy, just, and righteous quest, is still I took money out of the church's coffers effectively to do that. Ugh. And as a player, then questioning. Something like that, saying, you know what, no, I, <clears throat> I'm i going to argue with the Holy Father. I'm going to figure out a different way to do something. Um, making those quandaries of faith or um, questioning your, your God's choices or whatever can make for some really good uh, role-playing if you're, in, if you're interested in doing that. You, not everything has to be a horrible moral quandary, but I, I think that can make for some really good role-playing opportunities. The more, the better. Some of my favorite stuff that I get out of uh, a little bit, I've had this happen in my Avalon games with uh, Kevin in the past is sometimes, and even with my, my home group is you give somebody a choice and they're like, you know what? I think I'm going to turn my back on my God. I had a character who was, uh, I had a character who was a cleric in one of Lenny's games and we were in, we went, we we're in Ravenloft type. It was, excuse me, it wasn't Ravenloft. It was a, uh, had a vampire in it. Never mind. It was Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil. There we go. Sorry, I had Ravenloft on the brain. Anyway, so we're in Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil in three three zero game. We're getting our asses handed to us, and my one character, Stelios, this fighter, he keeps seeing all of his friends get killed. And he wasn't a cleric per se, but he still worshipped really strongly his his god, and he kept you know praying and trying, and he was you know. I was going to take a rank in cleric at some point. This was going to be really cool. And I decided that through all these horrible things that kept happening to the group and all of his friends kept dying, he basically said, fuck you, God, and turned his back. And uh, at the end of the adventure, became an anti-paladin because he's like, no, fuck all that. My whole job now is to destroy your entire faith, wipe it from the earth because you are an abomination. No decent God would ever allow this to happen. That's a really big flip for that. Um, you don't have to necessarily go that crazy. But... You don't have to hold, from a player's perspective, if the character, how do I say this? If the character should, um, if it feels right that, you know what? She's going to question her faith, and she's going to take a hit. Well, you know, if, if she doesn't do this thing, doesn't kill the goblins, she's going to lose her spellcasting ability, says the Game Master. And Ange looks at me and says, yeah, Brett, I know, but I'm not killing goblins today. Okay, you sure? Yep, totally fine, says Ange. Nope. Take my spells away. I'm not killing this goblin baby. It's not happening. And she could metagame it and say, nope, I'm not going to be that stupid. I need my spells because we're in the goblin hold, and there's no way I'm going to lose these spells. <clears throat> Excuse me, let the party down, so I'll kill. I'll crush the goblin baby's head. But she decided to play it differently and said, nope, my character's looking at this goblin infant saying, no, I will not do that. I will turn my back on this particular portion of my belief and have this question of faith. Um that I think is really cool, and that makes for some cool, good story, at least in my opinion. Yeah, goody goody. <laughs> if you got anything else, John, I've been talking too much here, man. 
Stomp on me. No, I think that uh, the moral quandaries are good. Alignment plays into it, but alignment is a whole other ball game. Um, and then you mentioned taking the powers of the cleric away. Um, some people would would say, well, that's not too cool. Um, I would also like to see clerics with a an alignment. See, alignment's wacky. Let's not get into alignment. I'm gonna get into a. Okay. I'm gonna get into a hole there, and I don't want to do that. All right. But I think also you could be, you know, what is the purpose of you playing a cleric? What is your mission as a cleric? So somebody could say, follow the faith of a deity, what have you, and the, the ethics that it encompasses. So how do you, as a player and a player character, do that in a role-playing situation? So we have brought up in some situations um, – where it's like, hey, I follow this God, and if you want to follow this God, then I will, then I will help you. But if you're not, then you can't be saved, and you're you're going to be internal damnation. And so, whenever you take damage in combat, that cleric doesn't heal you. Too heavy-handed? I don't know. Well, I think the other piece is that you're not obligated to heal party members who do stupid things. And by stupid things, I mean I've had players whose characters will like rail against the cleric character's faith. Well, that's just stupid. Why would you believe like that's just dumb? Oh, you follow cause God of dooms. Oh, what a stupid God. What a dumbass God. Wow, really? <laughs> so when that ogre hit you and he just wailed the crap out of you, maybe you're not dead. The cleric walks up and goes, well, too bad you're not uh, one of Koss's chosen. I didn't take a scratch. And he walks away from you. Doesn't have to heal you. Right. And yeah. it, I mean, you don't necessarily need the party to be the same level of faith and adherence that you as a cleric are, but at least don't be assholes about, you know, when, when you've got that player, the, the thief who, who's uh, stealing from you or um, the party or you, you catch somebody double dealing or you catch somebody lying or something bad happens, you can say, look, look, no healing for you. You need to, you need to fix that before, you know, before we can make this right, we just can't. We can't have you acting like this. I think that's legitimate, and I think that's another good role playing opportunity for clerics. Right, and then there is the um, maybe your your mission is to spread the word of of your deity. So how do yeah, you, well, how do you do that? Like, what is maybe you go into a town? What are you going to do? Well, I go to the church and you talk to the people. Great. But what about the other people? Maybe you're preaching in the square and maybe the GM will reward you if you can gain followers through the use of diplomacy. Here, give me a diplomacy check. Give me, you know, you're going to go out there and do some preaching in the town square and you've gained a couple followers and they want to talk to you about this in more detail. Um, and then how do you nurture some of that? So that's another thing and, and component. And if you're adventuring, what's in it for you? Maybe it's riches so that you can give it to the church. Or maybe it's to, you know, rid the evil of of the the caves because it goes against the the whole principle of, of your background. Maybe it's like a cleric who just has to get rid of evil outsiders, you know, because they're a part of the church that's a a watchdog kind of segment of it right they're tasked yeah, okay. with going out there and ridding i mean they're the 
the not the inquisitors, but they're the the ones that go out and they get rid of those outsiders because that's their that's like that that's their that's super, your job, man. That's their division of the church, right? Yeah. The other ones stay at the church and they kind of do their thing, but you're part of the elite squad to go out and really really bring the heavy hand of that God down upon the the evil that is. I'll tell you, one of the things you said there, it ties to my example, like a cleric of Poseidon comes into town, blesses the first uh, communal well that he or she sees. So he walks up, blesses it, and one of the local villagers, um, she and a bunch of other folks are pulling water up, and she asks, why are you doing this? Well, you know, I follow Poseidon. I believe it's what we do, blah, 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 a little bit there. Okay, great. So you had this little encounter that the game master gave you for a little bit of randomness. Then later in that... Later in that same town, you're trying to get something figured out. You're trying to do something, and you're arguing with the sheriff, and this woman suddenly comes to your defense and says, this cleric of Poseidon, great Lord Poseidon, shortly after he blessed that well, my son was healed, right? You know, random encounter, um, or maybe it, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but she believes that this happened, that her son who was sick, he had a cough, and it just went away after he drank the, the waters that you had blessed. It's just another. It's just a way to go. Wow, you you did a thing, and therefore we have a benefit for it. So the game master then re- again rewarding you, not perhaps not, not immediately, but eventually rewarding you for that extra bit of role playing, which is pretty cool. I think the other component when it comes to, like healing and stuff, is as you said, like with being the heavy handed, hand or hammer, <laughs> the fist of your god, is that. One of the things to remember is that if you're in a role-playing group or in a party of adventurers, you can't be a complete heavy-handed prick every time somebody needs to be healed, right? It's one thing to say, look, you know, I expect I expect a little something extra in the coffer next time we come next time we come to the temple of Poseidon. Yes, yes, Brad, I'm fine. Yes, I promise I will. And then me as the cleric, you know, harassing, you know, Chris's character like, hey, you you said you know remember in the in the bugbear lair, you said that you would help you know the temple of Poseidon and uh, we could really use an annex. Oh, fine, I'll come help. You know, it, there's nothing wrong to browbeating and harassing and haranguing people and nagging the hell out of them if necessary, but you don't have to be an overbearing jerk when it comes to healing either. Again, if the players have warranted that, that your fellow players because they've been being jerks to you about your faith or stealing from you or doing horrible things that you just flat don't believe in, then I think you'd be within your rights to deny healing at that point. So what are some of the things you got to know when you're playing a cleric? Well, I'll tell you what, um, much like your fighter, you better know your initiative because you need to know when you need to punt, when you need to smash something in the face with that mace or when you need to run over and heal somebody and knowing your turn when your initiative shows up, helps you, especially if you're running a D20 game or, or if you're running a game in a game when everyone has individual initiatives, it's very handy to know. Someone's bleeding out, you can they go, oh my god, I'll be dead in two rounds. Don't worry, I come after you. I'm, I'm on my way. That's a thing that the cleric should be able to do. Um, or if you're running, rolling group initiative, the cleric needs to say, I'll go first because I'm going to run in and do these things, knowing how the initiative is working on your, on your side. And you got to know how to hit. You got to know how to smack stuff because a cleric that isn't part warrior, you know, knowing how to hit something and do damage, how you do damage, need to know that too. Armor class, hit points, better be able to track that stuff. As a cleric, you need to have a decent AC because um, you're going to be in the thick of the shit because at some point when you walk up to heal that barbarian or that fighter 
or the thief, uh, the bad guy, that big ogre or that hill giant is going to come looking at you next. It's going to happen. So know your hit points, know your armor class. <clears throat> I think the next piece is um, you got to know how to heal yourself and others. So that means know your spells. I would say, Sean, that, and correct me if I'm wrong here or, or let me know if you agree. I think that learning the clerical spells tends to be easier than the wizard or mage spells. Is that? Do you believe that's true or am I, am I crazy there? Um, I think that they may be similar. So when you start delving into wizard and cleric, the spell casting piece is going to come into play. And if you don't understand just how that works, they do work differently, but they're still casting spells. So you're going to have to look them up, find out what the effects are. I mean, that's whether you're playing a wizard or a cleric or a magic user or what have you, or illusionist or druid, you're going to have to know... You're going to have to have the spell list, what you're picking from, and then when you do cast it, what it does. Because every game master doesn't know exactly what every spell does. Some do, but not everybody. So they're going to look to you to say, okay, well, what does that do? So you're going to need to know, you know, the area of effect, the duration, the casting time. And that's all going to be typically in the spell description. And then what it actually does, right? If it's going to cause damage or if it's going to buff. If there's a saving throw, if it's an offensive spell. And then, you know, with clerics, they pray for their spells every day. So that's a mm-hmm. little unique, too, where they don't have a spell book. Very right? true. I right. think the other the other piece, too, from a system perspective is then, you know, we talked about turning undead. You need to know how that works in your game. Um, <clears throat> DCC turning undead is different than Lamentations is different than Swords and Wizardry is different than Osric is different than et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's good to know how that how that functions. And the other piece, again, I'll throw out the the modern, your medic or even uh, a doctor in like a Call of Cthulhu game or something along those lines, understand the healing rules <laughs> in general because in games like that where, okay, what does first aid do to a bullet wound? Um, how does How long does it take to heal from a broken bone? Um, you don't need to know necessarily all the uber details around those components of it, but understanding how you get healed in the game system. One of the reasons I say that, because, again, clerics, as the joke is, they're the walking first aid kit. But you can also then be very valuable resource to the rest of the players and the game master as to how you recover the things that you're the, – the blood you're spilling, right? How that works. I've always found that to be good. good cleric characters understand the healing rules pretty damn well. The last piece, and I want to talk about this for a bit too, is there are, in my opinion, some one of the things that clerics have that they can really do well is they have a they tend to have a lot of knowledge skills or abilities to use what they do know in an investigative perspective. I'm talking like you know CSI cleric, right? If you're a medic or a modern type of healer. And you see an injured person, if you have been on a battlefield, you know what it looks like if someone's been hit with a mortar shell, perhaps. Or you know what it looks like when someone's been shot. Large caliber, small caliber weapons, knife wounds, so on. You know, bashing damage and all that stuff. And even if you're a fantasy cleric, you come upon a corpse. um, Yes, the fighter would know what a sword stroke looks like or what this is or what that is. But so would you. You are trained for hand combat and by the way you're also sticking your fingers in everybody's wounds trying to suture them up and casting spells to heal them so you're pretty well versed as to 
what all these weapons and things do. And knowing how long it takes people to heal from certain wounds and so forth, I think a lot of those knowledge, that knowledge skill of healing can be used to great effect when it comes to um, just investigation within any fantasy game as well. Oh, in religion. Sean, I mean, how many times do you have a cleric that doesn't have like knowledge religion, right? Yeah, because it's typically part of the their studies. And if you don't pay attention to that, the rest of the party is going to be looking at you as a cleric saying, hey, we just encountered this uh, weird orc tribe that has uh, you know, a single tooth on a red background with crossed bones. What does that mean? Does anyone have knowledge religion? The cleric is probably the dude or lady who's going to raise his hand and go, yeah, I'll give that a shot. I, I, I think I know something there. Or again, from a role-playing perspective, if your cleric is, happens to be a half-orc, yes. Um, as a half-orc who was raised in this land, I would probably know something about this if you're playing a game system without a lot of skills, like a DCC or some of the OSR type of games. Use all of that knowledge that you have. Your magic user sits and studies books and spells and all that crazy arcana stuff. Your fighters are uh, studying how to, uh, how to win battles and strategies and so forth. Your clerics are not only understanding how their god works and so forth, they're understanding morality, they start to learn how people function. Clerics serve as advisors in many cases in um, medieval scenarios and so forth. They're, they're counselors and they help people just as often or if not more often perhaps than wizards do. So you know a lot of stuff. And people come to priests and priestesses for advice. The common peasant folk in your fantasy game will come and look for you, look to you uh, for advice and information, and they'll perhaps be more willing to talk to you if you are a man or woman of the cloth. So you're a great person from a role-playing perspective to go talk to that farmer who's having having some trouble and uh, the the <laughs> the half-orc barbarian, the halfling thief, and the grizzled dwarven warrior might not necessarily be the right people to send up first. How about you send up the cleric? That might be a good person to go talk to him. So some using that stuff can be uh, all those knowledge skills. And again, if you're uh, OSR system that doesn't have knowledge skills, just using the background that your character has as a cleric and leverage, leveraging that wherever. I've... Uh, played many modern or sci-fi games with medics or people that are doctors and call Cthulhu and so forth using the bedside manner that a doctor has to be able to calm people down, get them, you know, figure things out. Um, they're very observant. They're studious. All those good traits come into play. So that can help help you out in as you uh, role play and try to pull data in an investigative game. Sean, did I cover it there? We, I think I... Dude, you missed, uh, the, you missed the you uh, missed the the stat that weighs in the heaviest, and uh, we didn't go over oh. do- domains. Well, then do it, man. What what stat weighs in the heaviest? Wisdom. 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 You got to jack up because your spells are based around that typically, um, and your skills that you will typically not all, but most of your skills will have a wisdom base bonus to it. Um, diplomacy, some of those talky talk ones. Mm-hmm. Um, strength would come in probably second, maybe depending if you want to make a combat based cleric. Constitution's always good too if you want to be that that cleric who can just take a beating and just keep healing, right? True, true. And then you got some willpower behind that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we haven't gone into domains. Well, tell me about domains, brother. So domains came in later. I think 
I don't know if they were not implemented till D and D three O. I could be mistaken. I don't know if they were in. I don't think they were in two E. Were they, Brett? Oh wow, that's stretching my memory. I, I know they're know. in three. We all know they're they're in three E. Yes. And so the domains typically are. They can be based on an, an element like uh, fire. You can like travel. Um, there's a few other ones about domains, and that is kind of your. Uh, I guess. Well, the thing that you know the most about or what you've, you know, ties into some of your spells. So if you are in the travel domain, you're going to get some boons based on spells or skills or feats that have to do with travel. And typically those domains are associated with certain deities that, you know, favor those particular domains. Um, So, for example... God, I wish I don't have an, uh, people are going crazy because they probably know some of this is a little bit better at the back of their hand. But so, for example, if you have a deity that favors travel and war, usually it's a couple domains. Um, and then you are a cleric and you want to follow that deity. Typically, you will want to be you will uh, take either the travel or war domain as a follower of that deity. And then, of course, Depending on which domain you choose, you again get those boons um, at certain level intervals. At least in a D and D type game, you will get some benefits at you know certain level uh, certain level intervals, whether it be a free spell or maybe that travel domain. Uh, instead of doing thirty feet normal, you can move forty feet because you've studied that. Uh, part of your religion to the point of knowing how to move quicker. The other thing that domains do as well from a role-playing perspective is that it gives you, this is what you're really good at. Mm. Your your domain is weather. So it's lightning, thunder, storms, weather control. <clears throat> That's fucking kick-ass, right? So your character, when just from a role-playing perspective, like Dungeon Master says it's raining and it's starting to thunder lightning, your person, she should be like whipping her hood off and just embracing the rain and just singing that song to whatever her deity of storms and winds happens to be. This is perfect. This is amazing. This is what I'm talking about. Perseverance and blah, blah, blah. They're, they're great little bits um, uh, that, that you can, again, it's kind of the source of the table perspective. You can add more color and flavor to it. But the other thing I've seen a number of people do with them too is it helps to color how their character dresses, talks even. Um, if you have a cleric who is of a storm deity, I've had players that have played played those, and their guy always acts like he's deaf because it's out one too many thunderclaps. Um, or um, if they're travel and so forth, they issue anything that looks like fancy. It's always what's the most um, economical work workwear type stuff. I want something that's. Um, rugged that can always you know last over great distances they don't give a shit about gold gilded or fancy boots or clothing or anything like that they're like look i want a well i want a you know well-oiled scabbard i need good boots you know good leather backpack and a cloak that's what i need you know that type of again it's a role-playing perspective but you're taking all of those cool domain things that you your character knows and then turning it into something that means more at the table than simply, Hey, I get plus two in my movement or, Hey, I get an extra two points of damage on any thunder spell. It just, it adds a little bit more. Yeah. That's a lot of cleric. 
That's good stuff, man. I like I I used to I used to not like to play clerics because I didn't like to have to be the band-aid. Um, especially back in the in the one E days. But the more I've played with with folks that like playing clerics, Zave and my son and watching what's fun they've had with them. I think uh I think clerics are uh are pretty cool looking are pretty cool class and even in your Call of Cthulhu games and stuff, your character in the Trail of Cthulhu game, you were a doctor. Now granted you weren't like a medical doctor, but you were a you know, professor and then you run into people that are doctors. Kevin's character was the actual physical doctor. And so what you end up doing then is you're leveraging his knowledge of how the hospital works, how this functions, how do you know, is this normal for a person to heal like this? Is this type of scarring natural? Um, looking at all of that type of stuff, it's, you know, doctors make some really great CSI type of stuff when it comes to investigative. And uh, good Call of Cthulhu players know that, and Delta Green guys do too. So it's 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 a really good skill to have. Yeah, let us know about your cleric story and how you like to play clerics uh, and bestow some Wisdom upon other players, write in at gamingnbs at gmail.com, and we'll feature it on the air and share it with others. I'd like to see. I'm also curious. I'm positive somebody out there hates a certain version of cleric, whether it's a D&D edition version or even just a, a type of cleric that they've seen or run into before. I'm sure somebody will tell us about that. Somebody somewhere has, oh, I hate it that they allowed clerics to use edge weapons, or I don't like the fact that clerics can do X now, or... Or whatever. I'm curious to what people think about that, too. Yeah, let's get to die roll. Let's do it, man. Die roll. <laughs> Button won't work. Let's hit that thing three times. Damn it. All right, Brett's got two. I got two. We got some from listeners. Brett? Yep, there is a... This is this was just a cool little piece. It is a guy who's doing... It's, it's He's basically doing performance art. But it's ritual magic for trapping self-driving cars. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It's a guy in Greece who has, uh, it's read the article. It's, it's kind of, it's performance art more than it is actually trying to use ritual magic, but the concept is kind of cool. And as a person who likes to run modern, um, style, you know, fantasy games, urban fantasy, like a Dresden environment or whatever, I think that's kind of cool when self-driving cars and if nothing else, taking that to a, uh, sci-fi game, yeah. And using that type of thing would be pretty slick. So take a look. Uh, the other one I had, I wanted to call out uh, Loyola Santa. His PIP system Kickstarter is still going strong. He's uh, well-funded there. And I think um, I think it's going to be a heck of a good game. Uh, so I uh, just want to give one more shout-out to Eloy and the good folks over there at Third Eye Games. Give him some love, or at least take a look at it and see what you think. And, of course, if you want to know more about it, our bonus BS episode, our latest one has our interview with Eloy. So, yeah, Wayfinder Foundation reference site for uh, someone's home game I found out on there, uh, found out on the web. It's uh, an individual who had put up some details about Eberron and their Eberron homebrew game, and I thought it was a good reference to check that out if you're interested in that type of material. Eberron, who does anyone we even know play Eberron, Sean? As a matter of fact, number two is the Manifest Zone. So we've got two of our patrons that are producing a podcast on Eberron. Um, that's Scott Disenvowel, uh, Keith Baker, the creator of Eberron, and then, of course, Palladian, a.k.a. Wayne from Advantage to Insight, um, and then, of course, 
Christian sexy voice Serrano is getting on the mics again to produce that show. So um, if you're an Eberron fan, that's the show to tune into. Uh, I think their release schedule, I have heard it'll be on a monthly basis, but with, with Keith and those guys behind the mics, uh, definitely tune into that. They've launched one show, so it should be in iTunes now and you can check that out. So it's manifest.zone, but we'll have a link in the show notes. Very cool. Congratulations to those guys for for kicking that off. Oh, absolutely. That is really cool. That is very cool. And listeners, um, let's see. Hobbs Hobbs pointed out benefits of a keyed monster list. Seen on Gaming Ballistic website, interesting approach to bad guy roster. Also talks about mind mapping, which we've mentioned on the show as well. So take a look at that. And thank you to Mr. Hobbs for telling us about that. Uh, Marquis Stan on Facebook called our attention to a strange oval uh, forming in Antarctica. So that was pretty cool. Um, I saw that and I immediately thought, of course, Delta Green. So it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's one more uh, horrible old ones, Mountains of Madness, called Cthulhu thing. Ezra Rocha pointed out a player's, uh, speaking of player's perspectives, he had uh, called out a video about how metagaming can be used for good um, from a player's perspective, which I thought was pretty handy. Sean, have you seen that one yet? About metagaming being good? Yes. No, I, I saw the video. I have not watched it yet. Yeah, I got to watch it. As well. I started watching it before the show. I'm like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, the last two have got Goblin's Henchman, our good friend across the pond, has uh, two two videos for us. There's a D&D puzzle box and an Assassin's Teapot. The teapot component, <clears throat> the video itself is really cool. It's this um, Chinese-designed uh, teapot with two different... Um, compartments in it that you can pour liquid out of by plugging different holes to force uh, certain portions of it to work. So I thought it was pretty neat. And Goblin's Henchman always has some really kick-ass uh, OSR first ed uh, AD&D stuff that he posts up. So if you don't follow him, do so if you're interested in that stuff. And also he gives us some really good stuff out on our Google Plus page. So check him out. Thanks, everybody, for the die rolls. want to thank our Beowulf and Elfremi or Elfremi, or Elfremi, or Elfremi. <laughs> and we just lost the review. And Fastest Dashed for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you very much. Uh, other than that, uh, speaking of reviews, that's like a terrible segue. <laughs> We're talking about yes. Game Hole Con. Speaking of cons, we're not even speaking of yes. cons. Game Hole Con. That was the worst lead in we've ever done. It is. That was terrible. Well, that was you terrible. know, Game, a sponsor, just like that. It's a sponsor, yeah. GameholeCon.com. It's a gaming convention in November, first weekend of November here in Madison, Wisconsin. Make sure you get here. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. I think we're going to get some. I'm going to get some insight into what's coming up. I think Alex went out to Watsy. Who knows, man? I think we brought it up last time, and we still don't know. Well, we'll just have to ask them. Yeah. It's all good. It's a, good, it's a hell of a good con, so hopefully people can make it. It'll be fun. It is going to be fun. We're going to be there. There's going to be beer on Saturday night. Yeah, we'll have games under the banner. We'll have uh, the booth up as usual, and uh, we'll some good. It'll, it'll be fun. It's always a good time. Yes, it is. Good guests, good games, good fun. Game hole con. All right, 
next week. Next, well, it depends, man. We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to sort something out. So Sean and I are going going to be, as I said earlier at the top of the show, we're going to be at Gary Con. So we're trying to figure out if we're going to record at Gary Con or if we're going to tempt fate and our wives' patience by recording when we get back home. So we shall see what we shall see. But we'll have something good. Yes. So thank you for tuning in to this week's Gaming and BS about clerks. <laughs> Otherwise, that's it. That's all we got, people. We're spent, man. We're out of gas. Brett, I think, still has some in him. Probably. I could probably put, put another quarter in me. I'll keep talking. <laughs> all right. For, for Gaming and BS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Laura Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Nick, Victor Wyatt, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stephen Bright, Dragon Spawn, Evan Harrison Cass, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jared Rasher, Jared Lytle, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, and Jim Fitzpatrick. Woo! For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider going to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.